correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve, and we have a very special guest on this week. But before that, how are you doing, Steve? Oh, not so bad. How about you? Pretty good. Let's go ahead and talk about our podcast for the week. So our podcast for the week is actually Shared Sagas. Yes, Shared Sagas. Wonderful little podcast here on the D20 Radio Network. And, uh, well, it's it's our friend Tom and mm-hmm. the rest of his Australian friends. Mm-hmm. And it's an actual play show. They bill it as an Australian actual play podcast. They, <laughs> that's very accurate. It is. Yeah, and they, they play a lot of different stuff. Uh, recently, they've done Trinity Continuum, Aberrant. And I believe they've launched into Descent into Avernus now, mm-hmm. but they've done Star Wars, Shadowrun, all kinds of this, that, and everything else. So it's it's a mix of a lot of different stuff, and they're a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah. Check shared sagas out. Yep. Well, do you want to introduce our guest for this week? I can do that. Uh, our guest this week is Amber, and uh, you may recognize her voice from Tabletop Babble or any one of a number of other podcasts that she's done. But we wanted to talk to her because she's talked kind of openly about dealing with GM anxiety. And for anyone who's ever run a game, that's a real thing. So Amber, welcome to being Steve. I thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being on. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to, to, to come chat with us. So yeah, I mean, you, well, Maybe you'd like to take just a quick minute and tell us about some of the various things you do in, in TTRPGs. I know it's a lot and you don't have to go through them all right now, but just so people kind of, if they haven't encountered you before, might know you know what your background is. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So currently I am the graphic designer for Cobalt Press or one of the graphic designers. And I've been in the space for a while. Just I'm kind of a social anxiety, like as you guys kind of it's more than just GM anxiety, but uh, I also co-own the Geekspective podcast network, which Steve, you uh, mentioned, I am the host of Tabletop Babble, as well as doing a few other shows. I'm on an actual play called Tales from Mox Fairy, and then I had my own show called Shapeshift, which specifically is about uh, overcoming my GM anxiety. Um, and then, of course, I just do freelance graphic design, and I'm on Twitter as at Rocket Orca. And you can find all my stuff there. Very, very cool. So, I mean, I don't know. I, to me, GM anxiety is something that pretty much everybody who, who runs games deals with to some extent or another. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I don't think I've met a GM ever who's been like, ah, yeah, this was no problem. I went into a game, no nerves, nothing. Yeah. I mean, I know that's, you know, for me, and especially the more people that are, are playing that I haven't played with before, the worse it gets. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if we need to define it, right? Because we all kind of know what it is or how we feel it, but it's that, you know, it's that that jitters, that, that am I going to do a good enough job? Am I going to mess this up? All those things, plus. Yeah, absolutely. So I can kind of talk a little bit about, like, how 
like I started RPGs and stuff and like how I end up becoming a GM, would that be something you want to hear about? Sure. <laughs> Sounds like as good a place to start as any. Okay, cool. So uh, this is like, I say way back, probably been like, oh gosh, how old am I? I don't know. I was in college. We'll forget about that age uh, and years. Decades ago, I was always a creative person, like drawing comics, telling stories and all that. But I kind of like refused to play RPGs because like in my head, it was like, I'm a nerd, but I'm not that D&D nerd, <laughs> which uh, I think everybody kind of gets and understands a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of told my friend uh, who also co-owns Geekspective with me, uh, he's the one who introduced me to Dungeons and Dragons, actually. I told him I would never play D&D. And he kind of like, I don't know how he exactly roped me into it. Maybe it was like, oh, you can draw your character or it's just like a storytelling and like you can make comics of, of the games if you want. Like, it's really fun. You basically get to make your own OCs. And I was like, all right, I'll try this. So uh, I went from never playing D&D to playing a seven year campaign <laughs> in 3.5. <laughs> And we had the situation in our gaming group where we really only had two GMs and they were experiencing a lot of GM burnout. And over that course of time of seven years, I was kind of also growing in role playing as well. Um, I even started out role playing very like heavy anxiety. It's, it's a whole performance thing, right? Like you, a spotlight shown on you, you have to say what you're going to do. Sometimes you're asked to describe something and you just don't want to sound you know quote unquote stupid or you don't want to as a player even do something that messes stuff up and it makes the group experience hardships you know it's all your fault right so as a player I was dealing with performance anxiety and social anxiety for a long time until I got into the powered by the apocalypse uh set of games are you guys familiar with the powered by the apocalypse world yep Okay, yep. cool. So like Dungeon World was like my first foray into that. And then um, later on, it was like uh, Blades in the Dark and then a bunch of other stuff. Apocalypse World, of course. And those systems really pushed me to be a better player, I felt like. Like I, over time, just learned how to do that whole give and receive or, and, and like make up stuff on the fly. But yeah, like uh, going back to me starting to GM, my friend Josh was like, I've been GMing for this group for like eight years and I would like to be a player. And he's like, I think you can do it. And I went, I don't think so. I can't be in charge <laughs> of people's entertainment for the night. Are you kidding me? That's too much pressure. And over time, it was like, he just kept being like, hey, I found this game that you might like to run or hey, game you might like to run. I'm um, trying to find stuff more in my style. And eventually I was like, mm, maybe if I made it like a way for me to like make it a project, because that's how my brain works. If I can make it a project, it is a different kind of fun for me. And it I don't know why it takes it's less personal, which is such a weird thing to think. But hey, if I make a project and start a podcast recording me GMing for the first time, I could do that. And so that's what I did, which is ridiculous in hindsight. Well, I can say that's a little different path than I took to starting GMing. But I can tell you that even after having GMed on and off for years, the first time we sat down to record something that was planned to air, I was a ball of nerves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As it turns out, that campaign fell apart and 
there's still that recording of that episode somewhere, but <laughs> yeah, I, I can look back and also I was editing the podcast too. So it was like, I had to listen to myself, not only in audio format, but also like listen to my own GMing as uh, it was a lot <laughs> to handle. <laughs> and I remember the first game that I ran, which I played a game. I ran a game called damn the man by Hannah Schaefer and I chose specifically people that have been playing with me for a long, long time and who were my very, very close friends. So it was like my partner, a close friend, Josh, and another close friend who all knew I was super anxious about GMing. And I, since they knew that, I, I felt comfortable and safe that they would like obviously not judge me and then also be really good players too. Like just, you know, I knew how they played. And so it was very easy for me to like cater to their play styles. And even that, even though I took that right after the game, like I ran it for four hours, a one shot. I cried after it was so because it was just so much anxiety and tension in, in running that and just remove the podcast part aside. Just the running it was what made me cry. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of a neat story, you know, and like to what you were talking about, you know, podcasting and editing. Actually, before we started the podcast, I had I do our editing and I had no idea what the heck I was doing. So I'm like, well, how could I like get a test run? So we had been playing, it basically it amounted to a broken up one shot online. I'm like, well, how about I just record this and then I'll go edit it for practice. <laughs> and like you were saying, you're listening to yourself and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, how, how, how much do I stall? How much do I, um, and, and say stuff to fill? Like, this is, God, I'm awful. <laughs> well, that's the thing too. It's like, yeah, you over time you start to hear your own vocal tics and your own like how you slur words or you mash words together. And yeah, you you start picking up on that stuff too, on top of like GM choices or like <laughs> missing things. Like, yeah, if you're not recording a campaign, you can let plot holes slide. But when you're hearing the plot holes and they're just so obvious or things that you missed or didn't pick up, or you could tell that this would have been better to do this. And yeah, uh, it's a whole nother experience. I feel like adding podcasting to the, the mix of GMing for the first time. Oh gosh. I, I can't imagine that. I be honest, you know, for me starting GMing was, and this was back when I was in college, but this was well in the late nineties and I wanted to play riffs and I had a couple of friends who had the books, but no one wanted to run it. Now I understand why, but I wanted to play riffs. So I'm like, well, if no one else will, then I guess I will. I had, I barely knew how to play, much less run a game. But I ended up, ran a sort of a campaign that lasted oh, two and a half years, I guess. So people seem to have fun. That's another thing, too, is like the whole, like, I still haven't run D&D because I am intimidated by the rule system. And I know that logically my brain says no one's going to, like, no one I'm going to play with or who I would run a game for is going to be upset if I forgot a rule or rules lawyer me or anything when we play a game. But D&D felt like a very intimidating system to start running for the first time in just because like for my brain too, I have ADHD as well. And it was like, I don't think I could keep track of everything. I felt like I would be, there'd be a different kind of anxiety on top of the social anxiety of like, I just can't keep track of everything. So when I first started running games, I was choosing stuff 
that was more rules light and that there was a lot for me to keep track of because I, I figured I really needed the help with just the whole navigating the conversation kind of side of the role play and like table management of people versus organizing information. I was like, I'll tackle that later. <laughs> the struggle I'm having the most right now is just being on the spotlight in a different way. Like I'm the conductor of this show. And so I think like the first couple games I ran, like I basically ran just one shots to begin with. Um, I, I There were just all sorts of random things, just things that I was interested in. And then people that I was friends with would have fun playing with me. And there were things like I said, damn, the man was one. I think there was um, like Honey Heist, which is a Grant Howitt one page game based on lasers and feelings. I ran Monster Hearts 2, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. I think there was like a couple other role playing games, even some two player role playing games. Um, and I also was trying to do it in a way where I was also picking games that helped me like diversify GM skills. So I would pick stuff that was very role play focused. So those two player games where it's like, let's, how do you do character stuff really well? But I also picked games that were for like world building. So I think I also ran like the quiet year. I can't remember the other stuff. It's been a while. It's been more than two days ago. So <laughs> I can't remember everything, but I was trying to do that kind of stuff, trying to build up to D&D, which yet I still haven't done yet. I'm not as anxious to run it anymore, but I just haven't found the time to do it. Well, I think, you know, to me, that sounds like, I'll be honest. I think I've only ever run one or two sessions of D&D. Oh, yeah. You know, I've run Delta Green, Rifts, you know, Cyberpunk. Fantasy isn't my go-to setting genre, whatever, in the first place. But, you know, it, it's there as a touchstone. And I understand exactly what you're saying. And, you know, to, yeah. And I think there is some intimidation factor there. If you're running a system that you know the people you're playing with know well, that can be both a, a good thing for your nerves and a bad one, right? Because... Sometimes running that game that everyone knows means they're going to, in, in your head anyway, they're going to know every time you miss something. Yes. So in our game group in Geekspective, prior to the show, I or was it? Yes. Prior to the pre-show show, I was talking with the Steves. I was talking about some of my game group and one of the Johns, not my brother, the father John, his son ended up playing with us and his name's Chris. And Chris is very dear to me. He is like a little, little brother that I never had. And he is, he was quite younger. Uh, he was like, I want to say 15 years younger than me. Like I started playing with him when he was nine years old because his dad's a major uh, uh, RPG person. And I kind of like grew up side by side with him in his RPG uh, experience. But he was the kind of kid who just read the books for fun. And I don't have that kind of attention span. Uh, I engage with the books when I need something from them. I just don't plop down and like, ah, yes, I'm going to read the entire monster manual now and commit all of these monsters to memory, which is what Chris did. And so I was always worried that I'm going to run a game for him and he's going to like, you know, mentally be like, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about or she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> and it, it, of course, that's not what it was actually like. That's just what you build up in your own head, right? Oh, exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That's to, to this day, that's why, well, one of the reasons I won't run Forgotten Realms anything <laughs> because I just, I don't, it's not my thing. I don't want to spend that much time learning that much lore 
to nitpick over stuff with people. You know, if I'm going to run a game in, in Star Wars or whatever, I'll say, look, this is my Star Wars universe. I'm more or less going to follow the established stuff from these movies. And that's more or less. And beyond that, it's mine. I don't care what somebody else wrote down. You know, and I'll tell people that at the outset, but that's not easy to do when you're new. No, absolutely not. Like, I don't want to spend, yeah, I don't want to spend like a long time up front having to digest a ton of lore that like I'm not really 100% interested in, which I think is a lot of the GM advice I got along the way too, as I was reading more things like blogs where people would put their things up on YouTube or or people who I would interview even, um, where it's like, you shouldn't force yourself to run something that you're not engaged with that's just going to make your anxiety even worse and you're not going to have fun and as a gm you should be having fun too it's the whole table should be having fun and that includes you the gm so that's kind of where i went after all the one shots you know i had never run a campaign before of anything and i was too intimidated by D for the reasons i already stated and i also wasn't interested in necessarily that world either so I kind of was trying to find something that really like engaged me, like something I would like the excitement of the system or the excitement of the world outweighed the social anxiety. Like I will, I'm going to have so much fun playing this, just engaging with it. It's the other emotions are going to take a back seat. And I can't remember what Gen Con it was. I want to say maybe 2017 or 2018 that my partner were we were walking around the uh, the exhibit hall and I think he stopped by the indie press revolution booth and he saw something that caught his eye. He was like, "Oh God, Amber's gonna love this!" And it was a game called um, Ryutama, which is a Japanese RPG uh, that was I can't remember who uh, localized it or translated it for uh, the United States, but it was travel focused. And it was exploration focused and all of the art was very like manga like and Studio Ghibli like like uh, Totoro or Princess Mononoke. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I found my game and I read it and I love the system as well. It was really simple to understand. The rules were laid out really well and the world was pretty open ended uh, but it was very wholesome and very cute. And I went, oh, my God, this is the game I want to run. Um, and so I actually started my first campaign. Like the first campaign, the only campaign I've ever run is captured in audio format on Shapeshift. And I had so much fun running that game. And I had players that were so into the system and so into the world and like the lore and stuff that it it just I I didn't have any I had barely any nerves going into running that campaign. That's cool. That's, you know, I've, one of the advice things I've said, you know, on the show and, and otherwise is, you know, if you're, if you're looking to run a game for the first time, and it, this is, I guess, just a way to help you keep the nerves down, find a game where the setting is something your brain works in well, you know, where you just get ideas for that kind of setting. You know, for me, cyberpunk, post-apocalyptic kind of near modern settings, that's just where my brain works. And so that's what I tend to, to go to is what I want to run because it's easier for me to deal with all the curveballs that inevitably happen, which is, right. yeah, it's just a way of, so to speak, minimizing the anxiety. Right. Cause it's like a familiar, a familiar space you know, you know, the tropes, you know, that, that genre. Really. I was going to say for me, when I was younger, 
and running games. Like when I first started, I found that I'd made a coping mechanism for myself to get around the anxiety. And the way I got around setting anxiety was I just made my own settings. But that's because when I was a kid, I was a creative writing nerd. And so I did that anyways. <laughs> yeah, I think that it, it, if because I used to just draw tons of stuff, right? Like I would draw all my little me and my brother both would draw like our fan characters and like Mega Man or we would draw our fan characters for Final Fantasy or Digimon or Pokemon. And so we would spend a lot of time making up stories and making like little comics with each other. And so jumping into D&D, it was like, or jumping into ro role-playing games. I say D&D like it's the, like Kleenex. Jumping into <laughs> TTRPGs, once I got over and found the area where I could be that kind of like creative, like what I was used to with my brother, and also have my brother play in my first campaign ever too, was a huge deal for me because it was something comforting and familiar and I, I knew how to create in that world, like the, they, that sandbox that they had created. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's another thing that can help you get over anxiety is, and, and sometimes it's not always possible. I understand that. But if you have a friend that you can bring with you and be like, hey, I know you, you can be my anchor point that can help you get over some anxiety, because that was definitely a big thing for me when I started running D&D &D specifically. I didn't know any of the people really that I was running it for. I knew my buddy Aaron and my one friend Matt, and that was it. And so those two were the two sounding boards that I had where I would say something and be like nervous how the party would react. And I'd look at them and then know that, yeah, okay, we're moving on. We're doing good now. So um, have you, either of you, like run a game for like conventions or like complete strangers? uh first time's coming up here soon <laughs> first convention time's coming up um i've run some online games with what were at the time were complete strangers which was really a trip because it was the first time i'd ever run anything online i or no I, second i find it so like people who can run games at conventions with like complete strangers i think they're very powerful to me <laughs> like i'm like i get so worried about if people are having fun or not. And some people mm -hmm. don't emote the way that you think they like show that they're having fun. And I'm always so nervous to get a group of people that are just like deadpan, don't want to engage or not having fun. And that's like my biggest fear. Yeah, that was, that was my fear going into playing online with random people. Cause I got invited to a game and I was like, um, yeah, I, I guess I kind of know you. I, I don't really know you. I mean, I know you from maybe having a handful of conversations, but yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> it's, yeah. It, yeah. I, I, I finally did it. I finally tried to run. I, I never do anything simply either. Like, I feel like <laughs> I'm the kind of person that like, I feel like I have to do everything on hard mode. I don't know why my brain's wired like this. Cause I think I, I like puzzles and I like challenges. So I like to challenge myself, which is probably why I've done everything I've done so far in my life. But I did run a, it wasn't even a pre-generated thing. I basically decided I was going to run for the first time at conventions at a catacon in Ohio. I was like, I'm going to run my playtest module that I wrote myself <laughs> to see, <laughs> to get one, to get feedback. And then also two, to see if I can run a game for strangers. And I. I did it and it was actually, it went really, really well. Um, but it was also a module I had run a, a few other times, like play tested with some friends. 
So I, I knew the, the, the game pretty well and Ryutama specifically. And I was super happy that I did it because it actually turned out really well because a catacon is a nice small convention. And a lot of people who go to it, I believe are like game designers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I had tables of like at least two to three game designers or, or GMs so that they could have empathy for me running this for the first time. Yeah, I'm I'm at the stage where I'm trying to figure out we have a, a local con coming up in October and I'm trying to figure out what I want to run and I'm like bouncing back and forth. Do I want to run like do I want to run, say, Delta Green, which I'm very familiar with, but it is kind of a you know, it's a more serious tone game, or do I want to run something like Grant Howitt's Chaos Brigade, mm. which I don't know, but looks like it would be an absolute riot to run at a con because who really cares what the rules are? We're just having fun and causing chaos. Right. You know, so I don't know. It, I guess in a way that's a form of GM anxiety in itself is, you know, is, well, what game do I want to pick? Right. Gosh. Yeah. I think for me, at least, it's always the one that I feel the most. I mean, it really depends, right? Like if I'm playing with a bunch of strangers, I think I would always want to pick stuff that I am comfortable with. Like, for instance, one of my favorite games to run is, uh, it's called The Warren. It's where all the PCs play as rabbits, and it's a Power by the Apocalypse game, and it's one of my favorites to run. And it's just, I just know it so well. Like, I, I can visualize a forest really, really easily. I can think of tons of obstacles that's, you know, really easy for you to make up on the fly. I mean, a lot of Power by the Apocalypse games are very improv-heavy, and I feel like that would be something I would just pull to run at any, I could just, I could just pick it up and I could just run it for new stuff that I would be <laughs> worried about, uh, not knowing very well. Like, I don't think I could run a dental Delta green game, uh, with strangers cause I I've played it, uh, and I know the system, but, uh, I'm not very strong in those, that knowledge of that trope and that genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Like I said, it's just one of those, it's like, well, what do I, you know, do I want to go more lighthearted because I'm going to be nervous and everybody laughing is one of those things that kind of calms me down or, you know, do, do I want to go with the games that I know how to run? I know what I'm going for. I just got to hope that I have players that buy into it. And I think that's one of the things that I kind of want to talk to players. I think because I was a player for so long, you kind of, if you're an empathetic person, if you love RPGs and you love role-playing anyway, I think if you're a good player, you're going to end up becoming a good GM just because good players, I feel like we can pick up what the GM's laying down, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we are aware enough to be like, we're all in this together, we're supposed to be telling a story together. So like if the GM is presenting something, it'd be kind of a, you know, in my mind, a I don't, I don't want to say dick move. Fair. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a dick move to be like, nah, I'm not going to even engage with this at all. Uh, I don't care. Like, I'm going to do X instead, and I'm totally not going to engage with this thing that you're putting down. I think it's, I would hope that most people playing at a convention, again, I don't have that much convention experience either, because I kind of shied away even from playing games at conventions, because I was always nervous. I mean, there's a whole other side to this too, right? Like I haven't even talked about yet is being uh, femme presenting or female in the space where it's like very nerve wracking. And I've experienced it firsthand where you don't get taken seriously at the table. 
Uh, so I had that going in as a player even a long time ago. I had a few bad experiences with players talking over me or just not taking me seriously at the table. And that kind of like really kind of kind of deflates you to uh, that uh, that experience. And so I very much shut down. And I was like, I'm never playing with strangers because I had a couple of bad experiences with some bad people, bad players. I don't want to ever have to go through that again. And so it took me a long time to even be comfortable even with playing with strangers. So I'm rambling right now. <laughs> Please save me, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. I, I, I appreciate because we really don't have, you know, obviously we're two white guys. We don't have the the understanding of that perspective. So it was, you know. Yeah, I don't usually talk about it because it's like it's difficult. It's not really a it's personal, right? So it's like, it's right, hard to talk right. about, but I think it's important to talk about. Um, and I, some of my experiences were not as bad as what I've seen from other people. And I mean, that's a real, it, it keeps really good creative people from doing stuff. If you have those kinds of experiences at a table as a GM or as a player to have people talk over you, not take you seriously, say, either sexist or borderline outright racist stuff around you and it's like that's kind of what my experience was but thankfully I did have a good group of people in my life that kept me wanting to engage with RPGs and then I eventually grew to have the confidence to run like if I didn't have that support from the my core group I don't think I would have kept playing RPGs well, that that makes a lot of sense I mean you know that's the thing right like I think as as players you know everybody you need to pay attention to that right remember that everyone else around the table is a person. And, (laughs) you know, I've said it, I don't know how many times, you know, this hobby is about having fun together, you know, together being the key part of that phrase. And the more people we can bring into the hobby, the more fun we can all have together. Like, that's the thing I never understood about that mentality was like, I have friends that have had stories much like yours, where it's like, I played with a random group of people and they were absolutely horrible to me. I'll never play with randoms again. And it's like, why? Why did? Why were they? What would possess? I, I get, I, I get upset. I, I, I get upset because it's like, what would possess somebody to be like that? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. I think. Well, I have lots of thoughts. I don't know if they're uh, can be coherent right now. They're just <laughs> sad, right? It's like you know, gaming when it first start, or like RPGs when it first started. I mean, it's a very small subset of people in society who started engaging with rpgs right but as it's grown you know unfortunately like whatever that group started with whatever those behaviors were okay in that space and of that time right like how many years i don't know i don't like talking about years (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can never i don't know how time works anymore so i can't remember when dnd was created (laughs) or 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 just gaming like this in general but like yeah it's unfortunately some lingering i mean every group honestly i actually remember this on twitter where it's like my friend uh made a post about like i think every group every hobby has a subset of people who are going to be whatever ism and whatever is you want to put or phobic and i was like yeah uh, i can attest i've been in knitting communities where you find (laughs) awful people so it's yeah i think you just you're just gonna find that yeah it's just a shame it is. But the more we talk about, the more we stand up to that kind of stuff, the, you know, they become the minority and it's, yeah. 
Yeah, that's the thing that makes me happy to hear. Well, happy to see in in the community is that more people are speaking out. More people are coming out and saying, no, no, this is not how we all want to be. And I'm in that group of like, no, get back in your corner. Stay away from me. Like, I don't want to be associated with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're here. God, we want to have fun. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not trying to bring up sore wounds or anything. But No, you're good. You're good. So I guess now is as good a time to throw this in as any because we feel like we followed that trail as far as we want to. Um, One of the things we do is we take some question suggestions from some of our Patreon supporters. Oh, cool. And um, one of the ones we got was, you know, and this has kind of been the elephant in the room as far as GM anxiety for a lot of people, I'm sure, is is how they deal with, as as our listener put it, the GM porn of people like Matt Mercer and Brandon Lee Mulligan. Like being compared to being compared to them? Yes. I think oh they're Yeah, like talking about like being compared to and probably the yeah. expectations that they set and all that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think it's it's like Steve said, it's the expectations. And maybe, you know, in a convention setting, maybe you're even more apt to run into this, right? Because maybe you're playing with someone new and their only knowledge of role playing is having watched Critical Role or Dimension 20. And so they just think that that's, you know, the way they are. Every GM is supposed to be like this, right? Oh, you know, it's so funny. I've never, ever come thought about this or come across this because I'm so far removed from that kind of actual play level. like. I personally, this is an Amber tangent sidebar, like the actual plays that I enjoy listening to are not the production ones, like the heavily produced, like this is a show. I really like the ones where I get to hear people just being friends with each other. And I love table talk like a lot. And I'm usually more invested in the people at the table than necessarily the the game being played. Uh, one of them being my favorite is uh, Spout Lore. Uh, they're a, a Dungeon World podcast that they're a really great group of friends. And like you can hear their friendship right through it. And they don't all do voices. Only two of them do voices, the GM. and But they're also the two that do the voices or do heavy improv are improv comedians. Uh, and they acknowledge that as well. Like like we're that's our job. Uh, but the other two players aren't or at least one of them i think might be but one of them was an anxiety a person with player anxiety as well so it was interesting to watch i love that kind of stuff but as far as like the worry or concern about being compared to matthew mercer like i've never thought about that that's such a weird thing for me to think (laughs) about because i'm not matthew mercer and if people come to my table and are like i want matthew mercer i'm sorry i'm amber seeger and (laughs) i'm not matthew mercer and i'm also not in the studio and i'm also not a voice actor the best you're gonna get out of me is maybe a sad minnesotan accent (laughs) like that's (laughs) all i can do or like for like for dimension 20 or whatever the brennan lee mulligan show is like they have a whole production team making the props and the people that they have on the show are also actors and comedians professionally. <laughs> you can't do that. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you completely. You know, and I've, I've said it before on the show. I think the thing that people forget about critical role specifically, and I've honestly never watched dimension 20, so I wouldn't know Brandon Lee Mulligan if he walked in the door and handed me a D 20, but <laughs> You know, the thing about 
critical role that people free is the whole table are actors. Yeah. Mm. So it's not just, and I think Matt is a great GM, but when you have other actors that you're playing with, they know how to give you stuff to play off of as well. Plus they've been friends for years. So they know how to, you know, they know each other's tendencies. They know to go, you know, it's, how do I want to say this? I've had people, Steve and I both know someone who used to refer to critical role as like the D and D version of a porno. And I don't think that's accurate, but I think, let me untangle myself and say what I mean here. (laughs) It's that is a great example of what a role-playing game can be. It is in no way an example of what every role-playing game should be. Yes. I think this is my real advice to the the question. I think, you know, if you're concerned, if you are a GM and you're concerned that someone is going to come to your table thinking that they're going to get a critical role experience, I would just have that conversation up front. Like if it was my friend group and we're getting stuff together, like we're going to do a campaign. It's going to be our first time doing it. I'm the chosen one. I'm the GM. I think I would have that conversation and says, look, if you're expecting Matthew Mercer level of GMing, then you're not going to get that here, right? Like I think a lot of of headaches and like emotional frustration or turmoil can usually be talked about up front. Like it comes from usually like miscommunication or unsaid expectations and then those expectations not being met, right? Like that's where a lot of like frustration comes from in my experience. So, I would be having that conversation at the beginning. This is what our campaign is going to be like. This is how I, I I can't do voices. I don't want to do voices. If you guys want to do voices, please go ahead and do voices, but I'm not going to do that. And also I'm not an actor and I might be slow to improv because I've never done it before or I'm not good at it. This is kind of how I see how I'm going to handle GMing. I think that's kind of what I would say for, for advice in like, Set those expectations early on. I'm not Matthew Mercer. If that's and you know that somebody is excited because they love D and D because of Critical Role, I think you should ha- say that <laughs> right at the beginning. No, I think that's good advice. So we got one other one if we want to do that now, and then we can get into whatever we get into. Sure. But this listener, I get the feeling based on conversations I've had with them that one of their anxiety points is what do I do when you know, the players make just a left turn out of nowhere and they went that way. And the plan that they had was this way. And and like they're saying, yeah, you know, you can move the goalposts, but like, you know, how do you, (laughs) how do you deal with that fear of, of being caught off guard? I feel that a hundred percent. Like I was, when I first started GMing, I was very much trying to plan for every branch of contingency. But uh, as I'm sure we all know here that you can't plan for some people <laughs> decision making um, or what they're going to do uh, at any given moment or if they want to bite that, you know, whatever plot hook you put out in front of them. I have two thoughts on this. One comes from just experience, which means you're going you'll get better at those random choices and out of left field decisions the more they come at you. And the more you just run games, uh, you'll get better at handling that. And one of the best tips I ever got before I started GMing was from my friend Lily, who told me, because that was exactly the same thing. I was like, what if my players 
do something I'm not expecting. And she said to me, just know your world. Just know how, like, what's in your world, kind of vaguely. Know your tropes. Know, like, as long as you know how, if somebody pushes, you know what the pull is going to be and, like, just, and we're talking broad, right? I'm not talking, like, granular detail. But if you know enough and you do it enough and you have that practice enough, you'll get better with it over time. So that's my first thought. Just practice, encountering it, not being afraid to encounter it, which I'll talk about that in the second <laughs> second part. And then just knowing your world really well. Um, so that way you can react as the world. The second part to help get over that fear is being okay with stopping the game. Like you have the power to be like, hey, you guys did something I didn't expect. I need a minute. Maybe now's a good time for a snack break and maybe or a hand or a bathroom break so I can figure it out. I think this kind of goes back to like the whole like critical role Matthew Mercer like comparison thing too. It's like I think people feel and GMs, you know, with anxiety feel like you have to keep the show going in order to make it feel fun and engaging and and whatever, whatever we built up in our heads. But like you can stop stuff and you can say and you can be it's okay to be like i don't know you guys did something bananas i gotta figure out so let's go go take a step away and here's another thing too like we talked about like this is a shared experience i've noticed from playing dnd 3.5 for like seven years and having a certain gm style presented to me all the time where there's like a, like there's like the DM screen, right? Like there's secrets going on behind all the time. And that, you know, I've had GMs that always hold things really close to their chests because they're so, they want to surprise us or there's something cool happening or, or they want to, you know, I don't know, surprise round, whatever it is that they want to, to keep close and not share with the group because they think it's going to, I don't know, make less of an impact, but like we're sharing a table. So I think it's okay to show your hand as a GM every once in a while. I've had many times in my campaigns where I've set up a city that, oh, like, here's a good example, a real story. I made a city in my Ryutama campaign, the second one I was starting to do. I set up a city that uh, had this issue going on where the townspeople were so obsessed with winning like fantasy Oscars and having their theater troupe win something, they didn't realize that their town was being taken over by these horrible cockroaches. They just weren't cleaning up after themselves, and they weren't taking care of anything. But my players, when I presented it with them, when they finally realized what was going on, I got a huge X. No, I don't want to engage with nasty, gross cockroaches. And I went, well, <laughs> there goes my whole scenario. So how about tell me you like like tell me how your players are reacting what's going through your thoughts like um uh, you know maybe we should just end the session right now so I can figure out maybe what we should do next you guys I have ideas what you want to do next but what should we do next because I had nothing and I told them I had nothing <laughs> and there's no shame in that you shouldn't be ashamed to not be prepared and and to stop and just have that conversation because a lot of times my ideas for game stuff come straight from my players anyway. So why not just ask them in advance? No, that's completely fair. Yeah. Well, I think the one thing that I constantly try to remind myself, and I tell people this all the time, is I think most of us as GMs are by far our own worst critic. Yes. And in that, one of the things is 
we're the only ones who knew what we meant to do. Right. Everybody else just sees what happens and went, oh, heck, we had fun. You know, they don't know what you were trying for. They just know what happened and whether or not they liked it. Yes. To this day, one of the most fun sessions I have ever run ended in what was basically a TPK (laughs) without any NPCs involved. Okay, explain. (laughs) So I've told the whole story. I did it way back in an old episode. It's called The Night That Bubba Went Crazy. This was my riffs game. So to make a long story really short, I was introducing a new character. Well, this character, this was a new PC character, was a pixie. One of the other characters had a phobia about aliens. Oh. So pixie starts presenting in this this little flitting ball of light, you know, like Tron. Player playing the one with the phobia decides this triggers him. So then they just start going back and forth. And they're like in a grocery store because, you know, why use a tavern when they have to go buy groceries, right? Right. So they start shooting up the grocery store on and on and on. Eventually, I, th- I think one of the first characters to die was this character called the Twinkie Avenger, who was completely crazy in the first place. But at which point the player promptly, as soon as he died, went, okay, looked at the character who was having the insanities issue or the phobias issue and went, all right, I'm now playing the voices in your head. <laughs> <laughs> And so just through this whole thing, they end up killing each other off. (laughs) And yet at the end of the session, it was like a look around and, you know, huge smiles on everybody's faces, the whole nine yards. And it's like, how, you know, (laughs) what do you do? (laughs) Well, well, we fade to black and we roll credits and we'll figure out what happens next session. But yeah, I I, I love that because it's like, I mean, that perfectly kind of shines light on also a thing that I I've told other people too, where it's like, I've tried so hard to get outside of my own head and just focus on my players. And like, just if you can get out of your own head and just pay attention to what they're excited about and what they're engaging with and ask them questions, they will do the work for you. Like Mm -hmm. I just have to be able to be like, describe it better or if an npc in town you know have you know does something i or it affects them i can react as the npc but a lot of times your players if you have a really good players who want to engage know how to share a table are respectful and you know also just yeah they will they will do it for you so i i try very very hard to you know it's a whole process i've gotten better at it i've been gming for three years now or four years, or five, or maybe 200. I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> you get to the point where it gets easier. The more you do it, unfortunately, yes, you have to do the thing to get better at the thing <laughs> and overcome things. Uh, the more you do it, it, it just, it just gets easier over time. And I, fa- I found it, I, I find that I can go in now with so little prep. My prep now is just going, remember to ask questions, remember, your tropes remember you know to look at the players you're 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 gonna do great this is my mirror prep talk (laughs) (laughs) you got this kid you gotta do great you know all of this stuff already just remember your players and i tend to go into i mean you're never gonna 100 percent get over those nerves i don't think but it gets easier to 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 get into it i i believe but yeah, well, my my one one sentence GM advice is plan and bullet points. Be ready to put them in a different gun. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, because that's, I think I know for me, at least again, and this may just be how my brain works. If I plan out fine details, that's where I get really flustered if things don't go the way I expected them to. Oh, those are the first thing to go out the window. For me, I I, I can't do, I, I, I'm really bad about doing, like, I'll do all these fine details and then I just immediately throw them out the window because I'm like, well, like, I'll try doing something and my players will go a different direction. I'll be like, okay, bye. And I just, I don't know. I have a really weird GMing style because a lot of my GMing is, is improvisational because that's what was fun with my friends back in the day. And so yeah. that's how I've learned how to run. <laughs> sure. So sure. I think everybody, there's no one right way, right? Like, I think you have to find what works for you. You know, for me, what works really well is I like writing dialogue a lot. And so for me, and I love playing as NPCs. So for me, what I end up doing is I tend to generate some NPCs, make a couple of character like personality types, you know, just kind of put like, you know, angry or tense or, you know, easygoing, too chill. I'll do that. I'll tag characters like that. But then I tend to just like writing dialogue. So a lot of my prep for me is just writing in character voice for NPCs. And that's what I do for prep a lot of the time now, especially for games like that are very improv heavy, like the Warren. And then I just bullet point list potential obstacle, right? Like if I'm going to sit down, I'm going to, okay, we're going to do a session and they could potentially come across a hawk or a ferret or a hedgehog or, you know, I just list out a bunch of stuff and then I can just, you know, and I'm already in my head writing dialogue for all of these <laughs> these NPCs. It just makes that's that's how I do it. I don't even worry about like roles. And another thing I do is I always write down questions, like what kind of questions I could ask characters. Um, and that's another way I do prep. So I don't even write out like, you know, a scenario, perhaps. It's just like, what questions can I ask? What can I potentially put in? And then a bunch of dialogue for NPCs that I don't necessarily memorize or, or you know, have in front of me. It's just good for me to get into the mindset of mm. the game right it helps you get a voice for that npc and get right. an idea of what you want to get across with them i do that for myself sometimes is like as much as i say i'm improvisational i do that same exact thing where i'll just sit and be like how do i want this npc to be and i i might just give them like one or two words as far as like grumpy or short-tempered or you know really overly polite or just out of time that's one of my right. favorite runs to write down it's just out of time because <laughs> when you're talking to an NPC, sometimes players want to talk and talk and talk and talk. And sometimes you just want to be like, okay, that's cool. I get you want to talk to them for a long time. But what if they're like constantly looking at their watch and being like, hey, man, I, I can't. I got to go. I got right. <laughs> I got life to live away from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and that's another thing, too. I love doing it's like knowing your table or like, I mean, there's different things, right? Like we've talked about jamming at conventions and, and stuff i i when i talk about like catering to your table i'm assuming that this is coming from a like you've you've got a group together and you know your players if you have players that love npcs and that's really what they want to do a lot of the time like i think that's a good idea if you like i don't i don't want this npc was nothing i just gotta go uh and you have players who want to hang on that's a great thing to do but i also like to cater to them Oh, yeah, absolutely. I either make NPCs that I know they're going to love 
or I make NPCs I know they're going to hate because that's another great motivating factor. And sometimes I make characters I think that they're going to love that they end up hating. And so then I double <laughs> down on that character. Or sometimes I have an NPC that I just like randomly make a voice to to try it out. And then they laugh. And then all I want to know is about that NPC who's just a guard who was supposed to hand them a map to the town. And now the whole freaking arc of this session is going to be about this guard. And that's fun for me too. Like I, I think like learning how to delight players has become a lot of fun for me or even just, you know, irritating them is also kind of fun. Yeah. But that has pulled me out of a lot of my anxiety. Cause like going back, I think a lot of where my social anxiety comes from is from, you know, just childhood, you know, being bullied or being made fun of, or like having parents that teased a lot or just in general being nervous around big groups of people or, or being judged. I came from a religious background. Oh boy. The judgmental side of stuff I got was awful. And so I think that's where my anxiety came from. But there's always a part of me that I loved entertaining, but I just didn't know how to do it very well because I was always nervous. One of the stories I love telling people is like when I was in, I don't know, second grade, I love making people laugh. Uh, we had just read uh, The Princess and the Pea and divine intervention. We had peas served for lunch that day. And I said, oh, my God, this is comedy gold. I can start sitting on these peas and making kids laugh. So I started doing that and I got in trouble for it. But I made tons of kids laugh as I was smashing peas with my like nine year old butt. And so I found that in RPGs. And because I found that in RPGs and nobody I've encountered thus far has judged me for doing the metaphorical sitting on peas as a nine-year-old with RPGs. I don't feel judged with it. I'm having so much fun with it. And that has really helped me get over the like anxiety, knowing that I have a group of people who can't wait for me to like show them some ridiculous NPC that I've made up. Like that's so important. That helped me out a lot. And so two players listening to this or potential GMs like, players it's so important to after game sessions thank your gm and like tell them like things that you liked because you may not realize it but they might be nervous like me and i had people who just were so happy to tell me how much they loved or how much they enjoyed after every session and that was super important to me yeah you know on the on the last bit there yeah 100 percent. that's you know thing to you know give your gms feedback because sometimes it's exactly what they slash we need to hear and as far as, you know, you talking about getting that rush from entertaining people, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause that's, you know, that's the thing like is, you know, is, is I'm watching the table. If I'm running a game, it's, it's getting that reaction, be it either that, that where you can tell they're really enjoying it, or like you can tell that this character is getting under their skin, but in like the mm -hmm. engaging kind of way, not yes. like, Oh, I'm tired of this. I want them to go away more like the, Oh, I can't wait for this guy to get off screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love those characters. I love being those too. <laughs> well, Steve, do we have any more questions from patrons? No, that's all we've got. Actually. We didn't for as much of a topic as, as everyone deals with, we didn't get a whole lot of specific questions. So, well, so that's okay. It's okay. So I think at this point, we're going to go ahead and start moving into game of the week. But before we do that, where would you like to be found? Go ahead and promote yourself on where you'd like to be found and Twitter, Facebook, any of that stuff. 
Sure, sure. Yeah. So you can find everything basically on my Twitter at Rocket Orca. That is like the spaceship killer whale. Uh, I've had that for a while now and I can't get rid of it. Um, I also have a website of the same name. So www.rocketorca.com. That's my portfolio website and everything that I do. And then, of course, geekspective.com, which has all the podcasts, you know, Tabletop Babble also has a Twitter as well. Uh, we're getting back into the swing of things after a bit of a life hiatus. Priorities had shifted, but I'm getting back into interviewing again. And so, yeah, if you also want to talk to me on my podcast, you can email me at tabletopbabble at gmail.com. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I love the Adorblins. <gasps> yeah oh thank you and you have the the coffee goblin the coffee adorablin and i i love it so much oh my gosh <laughs> so thank you for bringing that up adorablins is very dear to me this is the first game i've illustrated for like fully a game i've done a couple of other things here and there but adorablins is mm, a dream come true <laughs> <laughs> well Let's go ahead and move into Game of the Week and... Woohoo! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Would you like one of us to go first and then you can kind of get a feel for it? Yes. Yes, please. This would be good. Okay. So you or me, Steve? I have one. Okay. Well, then I'll let you go. I have one that I don't want to make any bold statements, but I feel like it might be good for younger children. Okay. Or really anybody, honestly. The game's called Teddy. It's T-E-D-D-Y, like Teddy Bear. It's from Cat Simmons Smith. It was just released on the 15th of April. Okay. It's, a, it's described as a friendly game where you can fight monsters under the bed or go exploring hidden wonders of a monstrous land in the dark wardrobe. So it has very, it has very kid-friendly vibes. It feels like it's very much aimed towards a younger audience, but I, I looked at it and I was like, for whatever reason, this grabbed me and feels like a game that it feels like a game that I could run for like, a, like even just a group of my friends and being like, let's just be goofballs for an evening and not have like any heavy themes and just play a goofy monster game, you know, like um, where the wild things are, that type of thing. Yeah. No, this does, yeah. Like you said, it 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 does it it has a very like kid friendly vibe, or it could just be like you said that that evening where you want to act like little kids again. Yeah, yeah. You just want to play pretend with your friends, and you don't want to have to think too much. Where can you find this game? It is on drive through here. Uh, keep an eye out in the guest green room. I will okay. throw a link. Sure. Yeah, now that could be. I mean, I don't know. That's where we found it. It might even be on itch. Yeah, it could be anywhere, but drive through is my main go-to for... And it's pay what you want, so that's another good bonus. You can pay as you see appropriate. I think they recommend four ninety nine. so... Oh, yeah, that looks, looks like uh could be some good fun entertainment at the least. Yeah, yeah. Good, clean fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. Something we don't often deal with around here, considering, I think, uh, probably by the time this episode releases my episode, I recommended cyborg so <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the last game i recommended was cyborg so this is sort of on the exact opposite spectrum of that fair but yeah that's my game of the week all yeah. right 
So uh, would you like to go yet, or would you like me to go ahead and go, Amber? I can go. So I think I I was looking through my emails, trying to find games that I've saved (laughs) or bought (laughs) myself, because I, uh, in great fashion, uh, sorry, forgot about this segment. Uh, so I hadn't picked anything, which is fine because I have lots of games in collections uh, <laughs> everywhere. Don't we so, all? Yes, I have. Oh, I have too many games. I have so many games I want to play. I have so many games I want to run. So I really continuing on with the feel good thing. There is a game that I had found on itch a while ago that I was completely drawn, drawn into by the art. I'm going to drop it into chat as well. It is called Crescent Moon, I believe. Uh, yes, Crescent Moon. And I'm trying to find who who made this because there's a lot on this itch page right now. Pocket co- Pocket Compass. Pocket Compass, yes. So the tagline is called A Downloadable Daydream. And it's the it's like, go on a strange journey into the patchwork world of the daydream and Crescent Moon, a feelings delving role playing game of brave children and bold adventure. Uh, the artwork is very whimsical and very childlike. And I just love the idea of playing in a daydream. I love cute stuff. You know, you talked about Adorable Ones, uh, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse card game that I illustrated for. And we were going for like kid like whimsy and wonder. And I think that's kind of where I'm at in my, like, game experience right now. Like, I used to do a lot of Death Trap dungeons and, like, hardcore gaming for a long time. That's kind of where I cut my teeth in role-playing games. And now I'm kind of moving into the, like, I don't know, it's been a hard last three years. So I've been playing a lot of, like, lighter stuff. And this really caught my eye. Yeah, this looks really nice. Like hand-drawn inventory yes i will draw everything that's in my little backpack uh non-violent play interesting i like that kind of like even in the games i run now like my ryutama campaign i try to present like you have options it doesn't necessarily mean you always have to bonk the monster maybe the monster needs help uh and so i kind of like that kind of stuff too uh so it I love this. It looks really good. Yeah, you know what? You could almost do this as like an interlude in a game you're already playing too. I think. Yeah, I lo- I love playing games inside of games. Gameception. You know, daydreaming as you know Bob the Orc or whatever. <laughs> That's actually a really good idea too for like those times where your players throw you into left field. You know, all right. You guys, we're going to go on a daydream adventure right now. <laughs> Your characters are sleeping. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, that does look interesting. Cool. And of course, being a graphic designer, like the layout really speaks to me a lot. I, I think it's really beautifully designed. I think I own it, but I don't know where I have it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> One of those moments where you're scrolling through your library and you're like, when did I get that? Yeah. I, I, yeah. There's a lot of that. <laughs> like one time I was like, oh, I own this? I didn't know when I, what did I buy Iron Sworn? I, okay, great. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. That happened to me a couple months or a month ago or so. I was actually roll, scrolling through my drive through library. And I'm like, I just listened to an actual play of this. I don't remember ever downloading this game. How do, Okay. I was was looking like literally Friday and going, I need to buy a new hard drive because I am at 
almost one terabyte full of games. <laughs> Holy moly. I'm not that level. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, <laughs> I uh, can see in years times uh, <laughs> I can be there. All right. Well, I've got one that's perhaps a little less cute than, than the ones you guys have described. But um, I'm going to start off with the, the kind of the description first before I give you the title. So Bryson Foods, Inc. has taken everything from us. We are chickens. We are eldritch horrors. Make Bryson pay. One day, a portal opened to the other, an indescribable dimension of horror. Each of us began manifesting the traits of distant cosmic entities. So this is describing a game actually inspired by Grant Howitt's Honey Heist. The title of this game is Something is Wrong with the Chickens. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great title. I like that. It is a one-page, rules-light game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge for two-plus players, including one chicken master. (laughs) Oh, the chicken master's great. I want to be the chicken master. That's amazing. (laughs) See, this is the kind of stuff that makes me, like, like helps me overcome that anxiety, right? Where it's like, that just sounds so much fun. Like I want to, I want to be the chicken master. (laughs) (laughs) Here, I'll link it. That's a good one, Steve. I like that. That's almost as good as that one that I had found. That, or maybe you found it. The Turkey Games. Remember those? Oh, uh, Turkey Terror. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I don't remember which one of us found that either. But yeah, it's you know there are six types of chickens to choose from, from chicken to turkey to the enigmatic nugget. Mm. There are mm-hmm. six eldritch traits. You know the powers gifted from the other. Which do you start with? How many do you end up with? Now they have modified it a little bit. It's somehow a three D six system. You know, unlike the original Honey Heist. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, it also includes a rollable table of puns. (laughs) I I need that. I am not very good at puns. I am very good at non-puns, but... uh... (laughs) I'll pay $1.99 just for that table. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, oh, okay. And I'm I'm pretty sure they did this on purpose because the... Full-size preview is both sides of the page with sample file hugely watermarked across it. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did that on purpose. Trying to get to yeah. the page. Yep, there it is. But, like, I, I mean, it, 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 Cthulhu chickens, you know, yeah. who knew you needed this in your life? But, I mean, come on. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Well, with that being said, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has been an awesome time. As always, links to everything are in the show notes. You can find all of the games of the week, everything with that. Discord, Facebook, Twitter for the Me and Steve podcast. Um, TikTok? Soon? Yeah. Yes. TikTok? Oh, boy. Yeah, getting, yeah TikTok. Getting, getting well, with, with the teens. It's existed. <laughs> it's just not been populated very well because my ADHD doesn't work. Like, <laughs> I turn it, I turn on the app. Mm-hmm. And then hours, hours later. disappear, and then I turn off the app. <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. I also um, have TikTok. I feel like it's the same scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I say I'm going to make content, and then two hours disappear, and I have yet to make content. Like, there's a video of me driving my tractor down the road with a song, <laughs> have with a George Jones song playing. That's a something. But anyways, chickens, chickens, <laughs> it's thematic. Anyways, 
Uh, TikTok soon, you know, new content soon. But as always, links to everything are in the show notes. You can find us, you know, anywhere podcasts are found. And with all that being said, we want to thank everyone for listening and remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. All right. Awesome. All right. That... I didn't say thank you. I should have been like, thank you for having me. That was oh, really you're fine. Chat. Now you can take that audio and clip it in and put it there. Clip it in, put it after the credits, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think I you're right. Yep. Go ahead. Nope. <laughs> no. We're saying the same thing. <laughs> <laughs>